Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. As a traveler, it's a fact you're going to need to manage your spending in different currencies. You need a service that not only helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, but also does it without the hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This is where WISE comes in. WISE is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. I've been a customer for over a decade. It's been a lifesaver for me as a traveler, a nomad, and now a permanent resident abroad. If you're a traveler who's still using your regular bank, you need to check this out. Join 16 million customers and learn how the WISE account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to WISE for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. An incredible show coming your way today, my friend. We touch on a lot of topics, the biggest one being social media and Instagram. Is it ruining travel? Plus, we talk about alcohol and travel. What's it like when you quit? How can you handle that? Why you can't find happiness in things? How to find the cheapest cruises comes up. And my guest also shares how she ended up going from owning a giant house, a BMW or Mercedes, lots of expensive possessions to selling 90% of it and moving into an RV. All that's coming your way and just so many Great perspectives in this show. I know you're going to get a ton of value out of it. I hope you enjoy it. Plus, I got a letter and a postcard recently. I finally got my mail from the States, and I wanted to give a shout out to uh, a couple people who took the time to do that. And this letter asks the question, how do you take an idea and turn it into a location-independent business? I'm going to give you five quick steps that I believe is the framework for that. Stick around for all that. It's happening today. Yeah, all in this show right now. Let's do it. Strap in. Thanks for being here. And welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for hanging out, spending a little time with me, letting me bring a little travel into your ears. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms, to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Guess what I'm looking at out my window here in Norway where I live? I'm looking at the first snowfall of the year. And you know what? It's cozy. I got that cozy winter feeling and it feels good. It's crazy how the weather can affect your mood in a good way or bad way, depending on, I guess, your mood for that day. And today, the snow is just a lovely thing. Uh, As I'm recording this, it's November. I just finished a month of sober October, which meant no booze at all. Felt great. And uh, it was kind of timely to publish this show because that's one of the topics we touch on. And anytime you go cold turkey or quit anything, and I'm not like boozing all the time. So don't get worried. But I like to enjoy, you know, having craft beer or two on the weekends. And anytime you take something away completely, it does change your relationship to it in some way. It can't not. And I think that's a good thing to to take a step back from anything and just have a fresh look at it because sometimes our habits are so 
kind of unconscious in a way, we don't pay attention to the things we're doing and how they're affecting our lives. So am I asking you to take something away today from yourself for a week or a day? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe that thing should be social media. That's a huge topic that we get into in this conversation. And Instagram, is it ruining travel? How does that constant comparison to other people, even if we're not doing it consciously, going back to the subconscious idea, you know, these things, anything we do, anything we put into our brains affects the way we think. And of course, if it's affecting the way we think and the things we prioritize in our minds, it's going to affect our travel experience. It just can't not. And this can be the dark side of social media, right? When all of a sudden, it's not about the moment or the experience, but it's about how can you capture it and share it in the coolest way. That's a different way of taking in that experience. So this show might really, I don't know how it's going to hit your ears or when it's going to hit your ears in terms of your relationship to social media, but I find this a fascinating topic and uh, an important one, especially for travelers who are out there capturing experiences because it's a natural thing to want to do. But at the same time, we have to understand ourselves and what the impact on, on us as uh, humans can be. And also, our impact on the things around us, the places we go. I've just read some articles recently that talk about Instagram ruining physical destinations because now people want to come and just get this iconic photo that they've seen on Instagram and the place gets overrun. So there's a lot of stuff around this. We dig deep into it today. My guest is awesome. She was wonderful to talk to, and I know you're going to love this conversation. Before we get into it, I want to say a quick thanks to Tortuga Backpacks for supporting today's show. You want to get 10% off the best travel backpacks out there? Just go to this link, zerototravel.com slash Tortuga, and just do your shopping. When you check out, you'll get 10% off. I know we used to have a promo code. No more promo code. Just use that link, and you can get 10% off anything you buy over there. I'm obsessed with these backpacks. And one of the best things about them, uh, the Tortuga Outbreaker, for example, maximize the space on the inside, has just enough bells and whistles and pockets to be organized, but nothing overwhelming. And you don't have to check the bag. You know, you got plenty of space to bring everything for three weeks, three months, or three years with you, but you don't have to check the bag or risk losing it, paying extra, all that stuff. It's just one of the many advantages of how these backpacks are built. They're just built in a smart way. ZeroToTravel.com slash Tortuga. You don't have to do a bunch of research. You got your holiday shopping. You want to buy a little something for yourself or maybe a friend who loves travel. Just go to that link and you're going to get 10% off anything you get there. You can also see some of the backpacks, the other ones that I recommend from them. So thanks to them for supporting this show. Now, Let's get into this interview. And on the other side, stick around because like I mentioned at the top, I'm going to share these five steps, what I would consider a very simple framework to taking an idea, even if you don't have any idea what to do with it and giving you at least some general path to follow uh, if you want to start something that's location independent so you can work from anywhere. Uh, I can share that on the back ends after the interview. And I want to talk about a question that you'll hear that comes up in my chat with Cashley that she asked herself. And I think it's an important one that we should all ask ourselves regularly. So all that's coming after the interview. Stick around and I'll see you on the other side, my friend.
Well, should we talk about travel? Yeah, absolutely, we should. <laughs> I'm sitting here with Cashly from TravelOffPath.com, and I, we got a lot to talk about today, so I'm just going to cut right to it and say, Cashly, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Are you in Canada now or somewhere else? Because from what I understand, you're living half the year in an RV, and then you're traveling around the world half the year. Is that correct? Yes. Right now I am in Canada. I'm in the RV coming to you live from my tiny home. And um, I'm in a place called Kelowna. It's Most people know where Vancouver is. So I always just say, yeah, it's close to Vancouver. But Kelowna is a city of about 200,000 people. And it's um, it's just all lakes and vineyards, wineries, mountains. It's it's very pristine. It's like the most beautiful place to to be in Canada. So I love to be here in the RV. It's one of my favorite places on earth. How far is it from Vancouver? If you were to hop in the car, it would take you about four hours to drive or it's about a 45 minute flight. Okay. And where did you grow up? I was born in Toronto, grew up in Ontario. So other side of the other side of the country. And then in my 20s, I moved to the middle of the country into a place called Regina. And yes, that is how you say it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a weird, it's a weird city, Regina. Uh, that's in Saskatchewan. And then I moved out to British Columbia, where I am now about five years ago. And I don't really see myself leaving British Columbia. I think it's probably the place that I'll stay when I'm not traveling. It drives me a little nutty that I haven't spent any time in Vancouver. I've been in the Pacific Northwest a bunch in the States, and I'm always like, ah, it's so close, and I still haven't been there, but I've heard incredible things. Um, is your husband Canadian, too? He is, yes. So he's from he's from the middle of the country. He's from Calgary, Cowboy Town, and um, so, yeah, he's he's loving British Columbia as well. Cowboy Town? What do you mean? Is, yeah. he, is he a cowboy, or...? No, that's just what Calgary is. You know, they've got the stampede. There's a lot of ranches, a lot of farmers. It's kind of, I don't want to say it's the redneck area of Canada because that's not necessarily correct, but it's, uh, yeah, you know, the boys like their steak there. You see lots of cowboy hats. Everyone drives a truck. That's kind of, that's kind of what Calgary is like. Why are Canadians so friendly? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I, you know, it's probably just because we don't see many other people. So maybe we're just lonely. We just want our friends. <laughs> Is that your theory? I'm not saying they're the only friendly people in the world, but like Canadians are darn friendly, you know? I like to, use to a think so. Cowboy yeah. kind of term. Darn friendly. Yeah. You know, I was trying to, <laughs> my best cowboy accent. I want to say congratulations to you because I just heard via your Facebook page that you shared something you hadn't shared before that you've been sober for over a year. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. I, I kept that kind of a secret. I, I wanted to really challenge myself personally, but on September 1st, I just completed one full year with no booze, not one drop. Uh, can we talk about it a little bit? Yeah, we can. Okay. Because one of the things you mentioned in your video is how intertwined, I guess, in a way that, I, mean, I don't know, you didn't use that term, but just how kind of travel and drinking can go together quite well you know there's there's a lot of uh hey let's you know hey we're just meeting you let's go have a drink let's go you know visit this winery you mentioned wineries being around where you live and um there's a lot of social aspects to drinking of course so talk to me about your relationship with alcohol and why did you decide to give it up for a year yeah it's it's so interesting intertwined is the perfect word that you used because when 
you travel as much as I do, as much as I'm sure you do, it it really becomes almost a part of it. And, you know, you're on a flight and they bring around some champagne or wine and you're in the airport waiting for your flight. So you have a glass of wine. Maybe you're in a hotel and they bring you, they put a bottle of wine in your room as a welcome gift or, or whatever. And you're by the pool. So you get a cocktail and it becomes this sort of, I don't know, it's, it's just, it's, it's like a crutch, but it's also there like- There are a lot of triggers for it. Yeah, there really are. And then I started to look at it and while I wasn't, blacking out in hotels or on flights and, you know, running up and down the aisles, taking off my clothes or anything like that. Like nothing extreme happened. It was just, I didn't know if I could travel without it because it just became such a part of travel. So I just kind of took a look at my situation and thought, okay, what if I don't drink for one full year? Am I going to be okay? You know, am I going to be scared of flying? Am I going to have as much fun at hotels? Am I going to be able to meet people? Or is alcohol just sort of that thing? It's that conduit that's allowing me to open up to to meeting new people on the road. And it was a great experiment. I, I loved every minute of it. And it showed me that I, I definitely don't need alcohol to travel. But I thought at a, at a certain point that I did. I thought a big part of traveling was trying wines in different countries and all this kind of stuff. And um, I just, I really needed to reassess my relationship with it because I realized out of 365 days, I was probably drinking like 300 plus. Like, I don't know if I really, if there was a day where I really didn't have anything. And, and again, I'm not talking about blackout drinking. I'm just talking about, was there a day where I didn't have a glass of wine? I don't know. Probably not. Yeah. It was starting to feel like it was an unhealthy relationship, I'm guessing. Yeah. And then, you know, when you're, when you're lounging by the pool and you have that drink, are you really there? <laughs> right? Like I'm, I'm traveling the world to make memories, but then sometimes I would feel that maybe I wasn't remembering as much as I should, or I wasn't present enough in the moment because I had this buzz. You know, even if you're at a beautiful restaurant and you have a couple drinks, do you really remember the atmosphere of the restaurant or are your memories a little bit cloudy because of the booze? So I wanted to just be more present this, the last full year. And I really do. I really felt like it, it did make me a lot more present in all of the situations, which was kind of a cool thing. Going from making it a regular part of your travels and your lifestyle, really, to saying, oh, I'm going to take, like, not a month, not two weeks. You're like, I'm going to take a year off. That's like a huge goal. I mean, was that intimidating at first? Did you think about starting a little bit smaller or how did you, how did you manage that? Yeah, you know, I thought about doing it smaller, but then you can't quite prove anything to yourself. And I'll tell you why. So say I had said, okay, let's just do a month, all of the month of September. Well, that's great. But then then I have an easy excuse to drink for New Year's or Christmas right. or my birthday. There's always those events where you where you, you think, oh, you yeah, wanted to get through like drink. every single hurdle. And yeah, I wanted to do right. I wanted to do it all. I wanted to do the full year so that I didn't have any excuses. So I wasn't like, oh no, it's New Year's and I'm in this amazing city like maybe I'm in I don't know, Singapore, or Bali or Vietnam and I'm just going to like party because it's New Year's, duh. I wanted to prove to myself that no matter what the event was or the excuse was or wherever I was going that I could just stick to the plan. And I knew a month it wasn't enough for me. It wasn't enough to prove anything to myself at all. Yeah. Did you have um, any advice to share around specifically travel and drinking? You thinking, like you said, I mean, there are a lot of social elements to it. So you, you show up somewhere, maybe somebody offers you a drink, you're in conversation. I mean, have you, did you learn anything as far as like tactics and how to just kind of 
not make it a big deal because I think that's also a big fear that people are going to, oh, I'm not going to be able to connect with these people because they're all boozing and I'm not, or I'm not going to be able to like fit in with this circle because it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to make those connections if everybody's kicking back with a cocktail. And then those are probably limiting beliefs, but I just wanted to hear your thoughts around that. Yeah, I think they are limiting beliefs. More than ever, people are sober curious. It's a big movement happening right now. Sober so, curious. Yes, it's a huge thing. <laughs> really? It's people who, it's called gray area drinking. People who have not had a life-altering experience happen. You know, maybe someone hasn't hit a rock bottom, but they're very curious about it because again, like me, it's like, mm, is my drinking a problem? I don't know. It's it's that gray area. So a lot of people are becoming more sober curious. So throughout the year when I met people in my travels and I said, oh yeah, I'm on a one year no booze, they would actually be really interested. They'd ask me lots of questions. Maybe they didn't want to do it themselves, but they were, they were curious. So it's, it's actually a great way to strike up conversation. But if you don't want to talk about it, if you don't want to bring any attention to it, just keep your hand full with a mocktail. I love it. If you just have sort of, say you had like soda water with some lime juice in it with like a lemon on the side, everyone just thinks that you're chugging down a gin and tonic. No one even questions it. So you just kind of have that drink and maybe it makes you feel uh, like it's a bit of like your armor. It's like sober armor. <laughs> no one's going to look at you differently. They don't even know you're not drinking. They're just worried about their own lives, their own drink and and what they're going to say next kind of thing. So people don't really notice it if you don't want to bring attention to it. Yeah. And of course, it doesn't matter what they think anyway. <laughs> but it totally, you know, <laughs> but but there is that sort of, I guess, desire to feel comfortable in those types of situations. Right. And like until you get over the the sort of the habit part of it, right? Because I'm sure in the beginning, it was challenging just kind of breaking the habit. I mean, what did you do to break the habit of having a glass of wine or, or whatever? Did you replace it with something else? Did you just say, I'm going to bed. <laughs> Don't show me the <laughs> bottle of wine. I mean, what did you do? You know, my nights were earlier, for sure. Like yeah. now I'm in baby grandma territory where <laughs> I'm going to bed a lot earlier, not staying up as much. But then that's great for productivity. But I think the key to breaking the habit is just to have something else in your hand, just an alternative, just have something, even if it's just water, just be drinking something. Um, the only time I really struggled with it is I guess sometimes it's, um, okay, well, I was on a cruise two weeks after I made this proclamation about being sober for one year. We go on this cruise and I'm actually working with the company and they give me access to all the top shelf alcohol and they put like seven bottles of champagne in my room. <laughs> and I'm on this trans-Pacific cruise for two weeks. So I'm staring at these champagne bottles oh, going, gosh. oh my God, <laughs> right? Like, come on, like, is this a test? <laughs> but so it's it's like, yeah, you, you know, you, know, you want to have fun and you're thinking, oh, wow, look at all this free booze. Like, that's the best. Free booze tastes the best, right? Right. I'll start it uh, next week. <laughs> yeah. So that was hard. So I was just like, no, because I made a promise. So I stuck to it. And then when I was in, um, I spent five months in Hoi An Vietnam. And there were some restaurants that were, you know, the, the wine was like $2 when you did the conversion from dong into Canadian dollars. And again, it's like, wow, that's pretty cool. Like I want to have a $2 glass of wine <laughs> just, just for the, the novelty of it. But no, you know, I just didn't. Um, I just think it's, uh, you know, if anything, I think at first it made me a little bit more shy to open up and, and things like that. But I think when you're uncomfortable that is the only time you can grow. So if I want to be more sociable, if I actually want to meet people on a deeper level, I feel, I feel like I had to go through this 
sobriety challenge because now I'm not as afraid to go up to people and it, it really strengthened my social abilities. So I just think like people have to get uncomfortable if they want to improve in any area of their life. Like you have to feel the weird moments and just go through them. Nothing's going to happen. Like the world's not going to open up and swallow you whole if you say something stupid or you act a little shy or a little weird because you're not used to being sober. Uh, I think it's just, it was like a really, really cool transformation and challenge personally for me. And I would recommend it to anybody who thinks like that traveling and booze kind of go hand in hand, like give yourself a little challenge. It's, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's admirable. And you got me thinking here. I mean, I think the hardest part for me would be, like you mentioned, there's the whole idea of, oh, well, traveling is about like trying, you know, trying the wine from a different place and you're tasting the earth of that place or going to a different brewery and seeing how they make the beer there and, and kind of associating those with travel experiences. And of course, there are all kinds of travel experiences you can have that aren't booze related, but that's part of it that I enjoy, you know, like going to go to check out a new brewery or something. You give me some things to think about here, Cash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to stay off of it now for good? Is or I mean, yeah, where are you at right now now that you've fulfilled your year-long promise? Oh my gosh. Okay. So, I have no idea. So, what I do when I don't have any idea is I avoid the subject, right? Like I avoid it. So, right yeah. now I'm procrastinating. I I don't know. <laughs> so, I had this I it's funny. I had this nice expensive bottle of champagne and my husband said on September 1st in the morning, "Hey, do you want me to put this in the fridge? Like are you going to drink this tonight with your friends?" And I was like, oh God, no, don't put it in the fridge because I don't know what to do. So I'm not going to, I'm just going to avoid it. So right now I'm just avoiding it. And so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to drink casually. And I don't know if I maybe will just continue and do another year, which I know sounds crazy, but um, I just, I feel like better things have happened to me when I've not been drinking than when I have. But I know something for sure. If I do go back, it my relationship with alcohol has changed forever. So it might be that once, twice, maybe three times a year kind of thing. Like I don't think I'll ever go back to daily drinking or five times a week drinking. I just don't right. think it's uh, it serves me. Yeah. Well, congratulations. I just kind of wanted to bring that up because I know it was a recent thing for you and it's no small feat, especially when you're running a lifestyle business and going on cruises and <laughs> doing yeah. all this stuff, you know, you're not, you're not exactly, you're not getting up at like, you know, five in the morning to commute for three hours or something. You got, you got time to kick back with a glass of wine, right? I so. know. Don't rub it in. No. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll, I'll stop anyway. We'll catch up with you on that later and see how that turned out. But I think that's a, uh, that's really admirable. So congratulations on that. We've got some various things to talk about here. Cause I know you're into, minimalism is something you write about. Uh, you had some things going on with Instagram. So I want to talk about that, of course, in this chat. But I think the first place to kind of start is the RV living situation. Because I mean, this ties in with your minimalism, I guess. And it sounds to me like this was really a choice around um, prioritizing travel. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So a few years ago, let's go back about four, maybe almost five years. I just then I had just met my my then boyfriend, now husband, and I totally. Where did you guys meet? Sorry, I'm going to in interrupt. No, we we both just moved to Kelowna and we just met through friends. It was just through just like going out for dinner and hey. I'd like you to meet my friend. Yeah, it was just it was just a really casual, organic way of meeting. 
And we started kind of, um, we got together right away and I put this travel bug into him. He had never really traveled in his life. He'd, I think he'd only been out of the country one time. And here I was like addicted to travel. And I, and I, so I was like, okay, like, let's go here. Let's go there. Well, why were you addicted to travel? Were you doing it growing up or? Yeah, I'd always been really interested. My parents are entrepreneurs. They moved us around a lot when we were young. And I just, I just loved everything that came with travel. When I was 19, which was like, you know, ancient history. Now I moved down to Mexico and was working at a resort. And this was, you know, back in the day, like social media wasn't around and and things like that. So I had already just had this obsession with Mexico just from living there for a few years and working in hospitality. And so I said to him pretty much after we'd been dating for, I don't know, maybe a month, <laughs> let's move to Ecuador <laughs> for six months. It'll be fun. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's like, what? But he went along with it and we did it. But one of the things that we found out right away was because I had a, you know, he had an apartment and I had a house back home. It was like such a drag to pay bills on places that you owned while you were traveling. It really ate up the travel budget, right? (laughs) So very quickly after that, we decided, okay, like we don't really want a house. We don't want all this stuff because all this stuff you always, oh, I have to get back home because of my, all these things that need to be done and all my stuff. Wait, wait, time out. Because your husband, he hadn't really been anywhere. Well, you guys, it was your boyfriend at the time for like a month, like you said, and he goes down to Ecuador. Like, did he get bit by the travel bug that hard right away that he was ready to come back and ditch all of his stuff yeah like right away (laughs) really he was just like this is he just fell right into it i mean yeah no struggles no like this is i don't know what's going on here no you know we were in rural ecuador um but we had a we had an oceanfront place and he just fell in love with being by the ocean he had never been by it and it like hit him hard he was like okay what do i have to do so that i can just look at the ocean every day like i'll do anything (laughs) just tell me what it is and i'll do it and power of nature yeah it really was and and even though it was there were a lot of challenges like we were in the middle of the country right on the coast there was a lot of power outages there were a lot of weather things lots of internet outages food shortages things like that but despite that he was still like okay we just need to stay on the road and when we got back we we went to mexico after that and then we finally got back to canada about i don't know eight months later and we were like okay let's just let's get rid of all this stuff because it's just it's it's a drag it's dragging down our travel budget it's always on our mind right like what do we do about this bill and oh is the property tax due and blah 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 we just we didn't want it (laughs) it wasn't it wasn't something that we just wanted in our lives so we decided to sell everything uh he got rid of his apartment and i sold my place and we sold literally 90 percent of our possessions and we bought this rv it's a travel trailer but the easiest way i can always explain it to everybody is RV. It's kind of the term that everyone uses around the world. And we we bought a piece of land in British Columbia, we parked the RV on it, and the rest has been history. Now we just literally live in this RV. We do not have a house. We do not have an address. We just live here when we're in Canada. And when we travel around, it's easy to close this thing up. We just close it up and it's just sitting here waiting for us when we get back <laughs> without any bills. So that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Talk about the emotional side of downsizing because everybody's got their own experience or their own relationship with their stuff. And it can totally change when you have an experience like the travel experience that 
you had or it sounds like what your husband had. We, we went from like not even thinking about this stuff was any problem at all to all of a sudden I have to get rid of all this right now. <laughs> I mean, that's a huge shift, right? It is. Talk a little bit about that. Okay. So, you know, you're so right how things can just change because when I met my husband, he was, he was in the acquisition of things. He was at a point in his life where he felt successful. He felt confident. He was trying to buy more things. He was just at that point where he put a heavy, uh, like a really heavy concentration on, you know, things equal success. It was kind of his mind frame at the time. And I wasn't far away because just prior to that, I had been a real estate agent for a few years and I had built this humongous house and I was obsessed with stuff. I was kind of going through a materialistic period of my life where I wanted Burberry everything and Prada everything. And I had a Mercedes Benz and a BMW and I built this big mansion of a house that was way, I should not have done it. It was like way over what I could even afford. <laughs> but I, you know, I wanted the walk-in closet and the hundred pairs of shoes and all these bags. That's what I thought was cool. I ended up kind of getting out of that lifestyle just before I had met my husband because I felt really burnt out. I felt really vapid and um, tired and really not happy. I was very, very depressed. So I didn't, I was just kind of transitioning out of that lifestyle, taking a look at myself thinking, what do I really want to do? And for me, that was travel. I always felt happiest when I was traveling and being in real estate, I was so busy. I, I never had the time. So I was transitioning like out of a real estate lifestyle into something that could really allow me to travel. And so for, for me, I'd, I'd started on the journey, but for Trevor, my husband, it was kind of like a shock to him, right? <laughs> he didn't know he was going to love traveling as much as he did. And so for him to say, okay, I'm going to dramatically shift from ac acquiring things into getting rid of everything I own. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that was a big challenge, but for me, I, I was like really ready to do it. I, I loved it. Every single thing I sold or got rid of, it was just like a weight being lifted off my shoulders. And we both actually got a little bit addicted to it where we're like, what else can we get rid of? Um, it, it was, it, where it might've been scary at first, it quickly became this, it was almost like an addiction. It felt so good to get rid of all this junk. I didn't, we didn't realize how much our stuff was really putting weight on us, whether that was mentally, emotionally, physically, it takes up so much space. So as we were selling everything from extra pairs of shoes to throw pillows, to rugs, to art on the wall, to blenders, plates, bowls, glasses, all that kind of stuff, it was just so freeing. We're like every single item that left the house was one step closer to living this travel freedom-based lifestyle. It was amazing. It was so therapeutic. I feel like anyone in the world that feels stressed out or depressed or that they have a weight on their shoulders should just like clean out a cupboard even. I'm not saying you have to sell all your stuff and go full nomad, but like clean out a closet, clean out a cupboard, clean out some of the stuff that you don't use that you haven't used in a year. And I swear you will feel so much better. It is one of the best experiences of my life was to sell all of my crap. <laughs> I get the getting rid of stuff but like buzz too <laughs> yeah, right. it does feel good well i think that comes from i mean that's the complete opposite of what it was for you before right so it's almost like you then start to equate getting rid of stuff with freedom right and once that is the emotional thing that's hooked you in 
well, of course that's exciting. This is giving you more freedom by getting rid of this. But going back to where you were before that, it sounds like you really were on quite a different path. I mean, what what kind of gave you the, you said you were kind of getting, you, you were miserable and it kind of was something that you weren't happy with after a period of time. But what gave you the awareness that it was that, that that was the problem, you know, that it was the material stuff? You know, I don't know if it was any particular thing. It was just almost like a lightning bolt that came from afar. It was it was something that was just implanted into my mind one day and it planted a seed and it was kind of like inception. <laughs> and I just, all of a sudden I realized that this stuff was not making me happy. I thought it would. I thought when I have the house, when I have the cars, when I have the shoes, when I have the brand names, I'll be happy. And then you had it and all. Then, yes. And then I had it all and I was miserable. I was absolutely miserable. And I felt anxious every morning when I woke up and I felt that none of my friends were real. I was very paranoid about relationships. I was drinking way too heavily back in those days, just trying to numb the pain of just not feeling okay every day. And so I thought, oh, I'll just work harder and I'll just acquire more. And it just got worse. And it was just one morning I woke up and just said, like, I cannot live like this. This will kill me. This kind of lifestyle, the six, these 16 hour days, trying to keep up with the Joneses, trying to be the social butterfly, trying to get every deal that I possibly can. I can't, I can't live like this. This is not making me happy. And then I sat down and thought like, what does? And it was anytime I was traveling, anytime I was exploring a new country, anytime I was hearing a new language, that's what really lit me up inside. So I made the bold and some people say irresponsible decision to quit my job cold turkey. I sold the house I sold the vehicles and I moved to Kelowna, which is one of the most beautiful kind of getting back to nature places I could imagine myself being in. And I just had to get out of that lifestyle. I felt so compelled to just leave all of that materialism behind. I felt super, super compelled to do it. And then there was one thing that after I had moved to Kelowna, after I had started this lifestyle, I did watch that documentary, um, the, the Minimalists that they made about minimalism. And I was like, yep, I, I know I'm on the right path. When I watched that documentary, that was one of the things that did also help catapult getting rid of the the home that I had in Kelowna and, and getting into in this RV. Because I knew, yes, this is what feels right to my soul is this lifestyle. Living with just the bare necessities, just what I need. I don't need all this crap around me. And just having like the lowest cost lifestyle possible so I can have the most freedom possible. Yeah. How did the people around you take to these changes? Sometimes when you make big dramatic changes like that, people feel threatened or they feel they they might seem angry, but it maybe it's because they're threatened or jealous. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can uh, pop up. But what was that like for you You know, with your parents? Did they think, oh, why are you quitting your job? This is crazy. I mean, what, what did, how did everybody react? No, my parents were like, you go, girl. Yeah, right on. <laughs> my parents are super hippie, super entrepreneurial. They are freedom-based themselves. Like, they they would move into an RV in a heartbeat. Like, they're the kind of people that were like, yeah, get it. Absolutely. The the people I got a lot of pushback from were the people that I lived with and, and um, like, all the, the fake friends that I had in my real estate career. All the people who were hanging around with me because of 
the status I had or I thought I had, you know, because of the parties I would throw and the the galas that I would attend and all those kinds of people that were in that social circle of mine at the time, they just dropped me like a hot potato. I never heard from them again. So it sort of shows you like, yeah, those people weren't really in my life for the right reasons anyway. But I think any of my closest friends, I think that they really admire the lifestyle. I think they really respect it. I didn't get any pushback from any of them. A lot of people were just like, whatever makes you happy, whatever's gonna bring back your joy and make you happy casually again, like you do that. And they've been amazing and my family's been amazing. So I, there wasn't really any downsides to making the transition. It wasn't, and you know, even if people weren't, like you said before, I don't care. <laughs> It's my life, but there there weren't there wasn't really any um, negative of, about me taking these these big changes in my life. Oh, that's great. I mean, there's yeah, there's associated things that I think come up that can be unexpected to me when you're. It's not it's not just get, getting rid of your stuff, right? Because you, as you alluded to, like you had this certain status, if you want to call it that, right? So you're also kind of cutting yourself off from this identity that you maybe associated yourself with at one point or that people associated you with. And it's just, it really is a big change overall and not just your own lifestyle, but yeah, I mean, it's obviously there's other people that are sort of, I guess, impacted by what you do. Maybe impacted is the wrong word, but I think you get what I'm saying. And I, I kind of wanted to bring it up just because I know sometimes people and maybe there's somebody listening to this that feels this way, they want to make a big change, but they're just worried about how other people might take it. And it's just nice when you hear from somebody who's kind of come out the other side. (laughs) It's like... Yeah. You know, but if I had worried about what those people, the people that dropped me, the people I never heard from again, if I based my life decisions on what they thought, that would be a tragedy. Because you know, they didn't care about me at all to to begin with. So if I had worried about that and thought, well, what will all these people think and stayed into this lifestyle and this vicious cycle that I was in, like that is an absolute travesty upon my life. Like I'm so glad that I got those people out. It was cutting the fat and it was really liberating for me. So I would always say to people that are afraid, you got to think about the people whose criticism you are afraid of, you know, are, are they people Mm -hmm. you actually even want in your life to begin with? Right. There's that quote that's, we, I forget how it goes. I'm going to butcher it, but it's like we buy things to impress people we don't like. <laughs> how does that go? Yeah, do you know yeah, what I'm talking yeah. about? I, I do. I know exactly oh, what you mean. I'll, yeah. I'll look it up later and give it to you proper. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So yeah, you kind of trimmed the fat not only from your life in terms of material possessions, but from your relationships and people that really weren't your people. I guess, and, and reflecting your values. So we talked about, uh, well, not caring what people think. And then you did that in your real life, but then social media, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now yep. we're going Snuck into the, back in. <laughs> right. We're going into the virtual life. And I want to talk about this because you wrote a great article for Huffington Post. And the title was, I was spending five hours a day on my Instagram obsession and it ruined my life. And this is one of the big things I want to talk to you about because it sounds like this pattern kind of repeated itself in a different format. Is that fair to say or no? I love the connection that you brought to it because you're so right. Here I am. 
I got rid of the old lifestyle. I got rid of all of these limiting beliefs on myself and 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 the negative people in my life. I even got rid of my house and 90% of my things. Right. And I'm on this Huge. freedom journey, right? Like I'm on this freedom journey. Like, woohoo, let's let's go out into the the road and like drift off into the sunset kind of thing. And then boom. A big part of that same sort of disease, this comparison disease and caring what other people think disease came creeping back in, in a very hidden and sneaky way. Sneaky, sneaky Instagram. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We'll talk about it. Yes. Um, Okay. So a few years ago when I was finally, I would say, full-time travel blogging, right? Because it doesn't start out like that. It always starts out as a side hustle or as a dream, but I was finally getting into it where I was doing collabs with brands and I was getting good traffic on the site. I was building an audience. I was, has readership and all of this kind of stuff. And this is for uh, travelofpath.com? Yes, travelofpath. So that's, that's what I do full time is, is write for, for travelofpath.com. And I got to this point where I'm like, wow, this is really a business. It's really a career. I should probably make sure that my social media is like up to par, right? Here I am traveling all over the world. Let's share the journey on social media because that's what you do, right? right. So and, they say, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I I got lost in the fact where I started to put all of my attention onto Instagram and away from my blog, which the blog is really the heart of my business. It's where I spend the most time. It's where I live. It's where I talk the most. It's where I really divulge all the details and tips and hacks about all of my travels. But somewhere I thought, whoa, social media, I should just spend more time on here because I think that's maybe where I'm going to have the most impact. Well, I couldn't have been more wrong. And as I'm traveling around the world, I thought, I'm going to post all of the pictures of where I am, which seems innocent at first until you start spending way too much time trying to make these photos and curate them and make them perfect. I had no pressure at first, but the pressure started building because I started to compare my feed and my Instagram with other travel influencers and other travel bloggers. And was this also a desire to be kind of that style of influencer? I guess. I don't even know what I was trying to achieve, but I did get lost in this awful, awful game of comparison, which I feel like every single person on social media has gone through at some point and to to varying degrees. But I think everyone has looked at someone else's social media account and said, oh, they have more followers or they have prettier pictures or they get more likes or they get more comments or why do they get to work with those brands? And or I they have a better life. That's the ultimate worst one. right? Exactly. <laughs> and I started to feel that exact same way. Here I am, though, living my dream life. And I cannot put as much emphasis on this as I want. But I was living this dream life that I had literally constructed and created. I'm traveling around the world with the love of my life to all of my bucket list places I'm supposed to really just be in the moment and enjoying it and loving every second of this adventure. And somewhere I lost my way because I started to compare my feed with others. And because mine maybe wasn't as colorful or bright or didn't get as many likes as another person's, I started to feel that my life wasn't enough. What kind of bullshit is that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it got pretty intense, it sounds like, because in the article, I mean, you went into a story about getting ready for a, this breakfast in bed shot at a hotel in Bali, and that it was 
I mean, it was great because it was like behind the scenes of, I mean, you have the picture here and everything. We can link to this in the show notes. You said you're supposed to like look like you just got out of bed and and kind of you're sitting there having breakfast, but you had to like shower and put makeup on, <laughs> do your hair to make it like look natural but messy kind of. And there were all these things uh, around it. And then you said one hour and 400 photos later, the food was stale, the coffee was cold, and I was feeling anything but relaxed. I mean, is this what's going on with these Instagram photos, like behind the scenes? I I'm pretty lazy with it, so I'd be the <laughs> wrong one to ask. But 100%. Instagram has become this fake place. It's fake and curated photos that make us crave a life that doesn't even exist. And then some of us, like me, we still try and we come up short and then we would just repeat this vicious comparison cycle. So when you see these pictures of influencers with, this is my favorite one. And I'm, I'm sorry if anyone's done this. I don't mean to offend you. I'm just, it's one of the examples that I can use that physically make me want to gag. <laughs> but it's, I don't mean any offense if anyone has done this. The, the floating breakfasts in Bali. So you have these influencers that get these huge trays that float in a pool. And they're covered in food. I mean, so much food that no one could even eat that much food. You would need 10 people to eat the mountains of food on these floating breakfasts. And then people are in the pool having their floating breakfast. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to call bull on this. Because number one, you you know, I, I can see that they've had to get up and do the same things I was doing for photos. Their makeup is perfect. Their hair is perfect. They're wearing the most perfect bathing suit or even like flowy sarong. They're in this pool at maybe 7 a.m. to get the right lighting, which is freezing cold. Like you're not enjoying your breakfast in this icy cold pool that you just had and you just had to do your makeup right for an hour at 6 a.m. Then you're posing around food that you're not going to eat. It's going to get thrown out. How wasteful is that? Especially if you're in developing countries. I mean, it literally those pictures make me want to scream. And I've been there. I've done them. I'm not judging anyone. I've I've done the same sort of thing. But it's it's this it's this arms race of people trying to get the best photos and they're compromising the actual experience. So that influencer that might've taken that picture with the floating breakfast, they weren't actually enjoying breakfast. They weren't enjoying the view. They weren't having a relaxing morning. They spent hours trying to play make-believe and trying to fake and curate and stage that they were having this amazing experience that they were not. <laughs> it's it's crazy. It's, it's almost like it's insanity. And it got that for me. I was spending five hours a day on Instagram between taking photos and editing them, staging them, writing captions, commenting on other people's stuff so they'd comment on mine, liking people's stuff, trying to follow people, unfollow people, blah, blah, blah. It goes on and on. I was spending my entire life on Instagram. I stopped living my real life. And my husband was like, what is going on? <laughs> I was going to ask you, how did that impact yeah. your guys' relationship on the road there? It's not easy. He, he he doesn't want to take 400 photos of me. He's not a photographer. <laughs> but I sort of forced him into that role. And he doesn't want to wait an hour to eat his breakfast that's delivered at room service. He wants to eat it because that's what it's for. He doesn't want to use it as a prop and then have this cold, stale breakfast later on. And when we experience a new city or an, uh, like an attraction, he wants to be able to be in the moment, not worry about if the lighting's hitting me right so I don't like yell at him for taking the wrong kind of photo later, right? It's It was a waste of our time. It was such a waste of our energy. And 
it started to ruin travel for us, like, to be honest. <laughs> it, it made us not want to go to new areas because we knew there was so much work involved. And it made us not want to explore because we felt like we weren't even seeing the thing we were looking at. It's uh, We were missing out on experiences because we were just too caught up in content creation. Yeah, this is. Uh, I really appreciate you sharing this because... I mean, this is one of the big things I wanted to talk about because I, I like the way that you shared it in this article and with me just being so transparent of like, hey, I got caught up on this. I'm just being honest with you. This is what I was doing. Like I was in this, but it was ruining travel for me and I had to get out of it. But it can affect everybody, right? Like whether you go to the lengths of trying to get the perfect picture or not, if you are scrolling through and comparing your travels to other people's and having these thoughts i don't know social media is like this double-edged sword right because it, it is, connects yeah. us it gets us in in touch with each other it can even get new destinations that uh, maybe weren't on your radar before on your radar you could argue that that's good or bad <laughs> depending on uh the yeah. destination <laughs> but there are certainly benefits to social media i mean i've gotten in touch with you know long lost friends that i hadn't talked to in years just because of social media but then there's these types of things that are destructive they are and you know i was i actually just recently um it hasn't aired yet but i just filmed a piece for the tv show the doctors where they had me on to talk about this and they were talking about how it really how like you just said social media can be great um it can really make us connect with people that we haven't seen in a long time. But there's this other side to it that is plaguing people, whether you're traveling or not. It's a lot of the times we're looking in the feeds and we can compare, I think especially women do it. You can look at someone and say, they have better outfits than me. They have a cleaner house than me. They go to more places than me. And it's this comparison that can make us feel worthless and anxious and like we're not enough. And it's not just in travel. It can be in any aspect of life. But the thing is, is that these things are not real. These people, these staged and curated photos are, they're made up. They're not a real life. So it's very, very difficult for us to all strive for that and crave it and want it when it's not real to begin with. Like that is where the danger comes in. And like what you just said on about, it can give us new ideas for travel. My husband and I, we have this theory that Instagram is ruining travel. Like I actually think it's harming travel for a lot of reasons. Um, it's made it a competition, right? To get great photos for those who are travel influencers, but it's already like you've already seen everything. It's yes, it can give you inspiration on where to go next, but now on Instagram, I've already seen everything. Like I've seen everything because even the most remote locations have been made into an Instagram video or an amazing edited, like highly colorful post. And so I kind of feel like there's nothing left to be discovered in a way. Um, and then it can also overload cities and towns that are not ready for tourism, right? One viral Instagram post can literally overwhelm a place. Yeah. I just read an article about that. Geotagging has been ruining some really pretty pristine spots by bringing a lot of people to them because of an Instagram post. It's crazy. Never before in humankind could you compare yourself to like a hundred people in five minutes, right? Yeah. <laughs> like you just scroll through something. I mean, you can't, that's not, you can't do that in real life. It's not possible. The ramifications of what that can lead to, I think is still 
the jury's still out on that, right? I mean, because it's so new. If I had to fall on one side of the argument or the other, of course, there's a lot of gray area. But if I had to say it's it's good for travel or it's ruining travel, I would fall on the it's ruining travel side with you. Yeah, I really sure. do. You know, okay, this is funny. Have you ever seen the movie White Squall? Uh, no, but that sounds familiar. Something about a okay. boat. Yes. Okay. So it's, it's, I think Squall, it's around 96, 1996 it okay. was made. And it's one of Ryan Philippe's first movies. Okay. And yeah, anyway, like fun fact, I'm sure you have posters up on your wall or something. If I'm right. So Looking at one right now. <laughs> but I watched it the other day and it was the first time I'd seen it. And there's this part in the movie where all these boys are probably, you know, 16, 17 years old. They they land somewhere in Latin America. The boat uh, lands. They get off and they go on this exploratory journey for the day. And they come across this amazing canyon. It's just so beautiful and it's like grassy and there's all these rocks and it's so viv like it's so visual. It's so incredible. It would make an amazing Instagram post. Okay, but the point that I kind of came across when I was watching the movie is I said to my husband, "Oh, that is such a shame that we'll never experience what these boys did." When they, they were just walking through the world, they had no idea it was there. They just came across it. And they were like, wow, they're so surprised. And their eyes are open with wonder. And they start cheering and yelling and jumping because they're seeing this amazing piece of nature for the very first time. And I thought, what a shame that I'll never have that. Like I'll never, and a lot of us won't because we've we've kind of seen everything. We can't just stumble upon a, a wonder of the world. It's really mm -hmm. difficult to do now because yeah. of Instagram. So I thought like, damn, Instagram. For me, I can't help my white squall moment. Damn because you, Instagram. <laughs> you've stolen it from me. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is it's if you're thinking about your travels as this would make a great Instagram post, because that was the the word you just said, like, oh, this would make a great Instagram post, right? Because when you're in in Grammon mode, I'm gonna call it, um, <laughs> aren't you kind of thinking that way? I mean, I've never really done it like that, but aren't you kind of thinking that way? Oh, like this would oh, I got to get this shot for Instagram, right? Like that's, that's the problem. That, that right there is taking you away from, all of this takes you away from the present moment. I mean, it's just, I don't know. You could argue that it doesn't, but it just, it's a different filter through which you're thinking about things, right? So if you're taking in a destination and your, fil your number one filter is, let me find places that I can put on Instagram, other things are becoming secondary, like the smell of the salt in the air or what, whatever. Like you might not, like you were saying about booze clouding your mind, you might not notice certain things just because this is so top of mind. You hit the nail right on the head there. And this is where Instagram is this ultimate form of mind control. <laughs> okay. I started to think of things and experiences that should be treasured by me as opportunities for content creation. It was like I started to become a content creation robot. How did Instagram get into my mind so much? How did it weasel its way in there and set up shop where I started to think of my life and seeing things that are amazing in terms of this would be really good on Instagram? Like that is some freaky witchcrafty mind control right there, right? Like, how does one get so caught up? And I did. Now, I honestly don't really care. I've, I've very much stepped back from it because of a place of necessity, just like my old life when I was a materialistic, crazy person, right? Like, needed more stuff and valued who I was because of the brands I wore. 
just like that, I had to say, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. I have to take a step back from Instagram. I'm not posting all the time anymore. I'm not going to fake photos anymore because I can't. It's it's like taking over my life. When I started to see a beautiful sunset and thinking the first thing I thought was, oh, I should get this for Instagram instead of, wow, what a beautiful sunset with my husband, right? As soon as that started to become the first thing, when Instagram was the first thing I thought of, I'm like, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. This has got to stop. I am I am cutting you off. <laughs> I'm stomping this out because that is not healthy. That is absolutely not healthy. Instagram, I, if I'm just creating content for them and obsessed with creating content for them, they're a platform that doesn't care about me. They don't know who I am. They, they don't care about me. A lot of the people that follow me probably don't care about me either. So why is it the most important thing in my life to get this shot for Instagram? Yeah. Like that's madness. Yeah. And I think that's what we're talking about here. I mean, anybody that's listening and is like, I love Instagram. Like it's, it certainly can be fun and useful. I think we're not, we're not saying that all Instagram users are bad or you should never use it when you're traveling or whatever. No. But I think what you were saying is the distinction we're making where if it's like, the number one thing you're thinking about like most of the time, you, you just probably know intuitively it's not a healthy use of it, right? 100%. That's what we're talking about. We're that. not talking about yeah. re, you know reasonable use. And by the way, anybody that's doing that right now, we're not judging either. It's just something, these conversations are important because I think it's important to be aware of the fact that um, people that haven't had the experience that you've had where you're, you're you're getting wrapped up in it and you're you're getting the pictures and you're going to the great lengths to get the the breakfast and bed shot or you know get into the pool at seven in the morning or whatever when it's miserable people that don't know what that's happening behind the scenes like it's good to hear those stories because now you can look at some of that content in a different way I think absolutely and and you're so right when you say that it's not that saying Instagram is awful and none of us should have it I still use Instagram almost every day I have it. The difference is now I just, I use Instagram and Instagram doesn't use me. Before I felt like the platform was using me because it was the first thing I thought of. And if you put that into anything, so imagine the first thing I thought of when I woke up was drinking. That's when I would know drinking would be a problem, right? If I woke up at 7 a.m. and thought I'm going to have a beer in the shower, that's when you know that it might be out of control. Or if I only thought of the brands I was going to wear or if I, my self-worth was on the car that I drove and that was my only thought, then I would know that my materialism had gotten out of control, right? So it's the same thing. It's not saying that Instagram is bad. It's just saying that for me and in my journey, it became top of mind. It became the most important thing in my world. And that was an addiction. That was bad. And it was my mindless comparison and mindless use of the app. But I think that when you're using it responsibly, like anything, like using anything that's addictive responsibly, I think that social media can be very addictive, just like sugar can be addictive or gambling can be addictive. But Instagram doesn't come with a warning. It doesn't let its users know, hey, you might get out of control with this. <laughs> this may become your life. And so I think that these conversations are important because it's it's letting people know that it, it can be addictive and it is for many people. And that's when you might want to take a look at it and say, whoa, I need to step back because I still use Instagram and I love connecting with friends and, and people who follow me on Instagram. It's just that it's not top of mind anymore. I don't think of the sunset as my Instagram opportunity. I think of the sunset as the sunset. <laughs> right. And I mean, you can always run experiments, right? I think that's always a great way to figure out if things are unhealthy or if you just want to try something new, you can say to yourself, 
like you did quitting alcohol for a year. I mean, it doesn't have to be such a big commitment, but you can say, hey, I use Instagram all the time when I'm traveling. I'm not going to use it for three days or whatever and see 100%. how I feel. You know, I mean, oh, yeah. you can you could do these micro experiments and just I'm a big fan of just experimenting with your life a little bit because you don't know how you're going to feel. And you could run the same experiment six months from now and it could be a totally different outcome because we're, we're always changing and that's sometimes hard to pick up on the nuances of how much we've changed particularly when we're traveling but of course over time you can look back and say wow things are totally different you know but sometimes within one month two month three month intervals it's it's hard to sort of pick up on i wanted to ask you about how you decide where to travel because it seems like you have a pretty open schedule for half of the year first of all why do you guys spend half of the year in Canada? Like, why not just travel full time? Is that just like a random amount of months you want to spend in Canada? Or is there a reason for that? <laughs> That's a great question. Because where we are is so dang beautiful. Okay. It is amazing. Yeah. And so we just want to spend the time here. We it's love nice living in base. this RV. Yeah. So a few years ago, we were lucky enough to find this piece of land. It's very small. But it fits, you know, it fits the the RV and we've got like a garden and we've even got a little guest cabin for visitors. But we are directly on the lake and we're on one of the nicest lakes uh, in our country. It's just absolutely beautiful. And so right out the window that I'm looking at right now is this beautiful, pristine, clear lake. It's gorgeous. I mean, why wouldn't we want to be here? <laughs> and on the land here, we can grow fruits and vegetables. So we have like pear tree, apples, cherries, we've got strawberries, blueberries, raspberries, we've got vegetables. Um, it's, it's just really, it's amazing. It's so grounding and it's just so therapeutic being here. So plus the weather in Canada in the summer is amazing. <laughs> it's really hot. It's really sunny. It hardly ever rains here in the summer. It's just beautiful. We really wanted to be here just to enjoy what makes us happy. And that's just being here. But because travel is such a big part of our life, we knew, yeah, we, we wouldn't be happy if we were here year round, especially when winter comes. Like no one wants to live in an RV in minus 30 degrees or whatever, right? That's not cool. <laughs> so we travel for at least six months of the year. It might be more. And we might travel from the RV, like say all of a sudden we wanted to go to London in the summer. Sure, we'll go. It doesn't mean that we're stuck here, right? But Right now, the places that we choose to travel to, I have to be 100% honest, it's completely based on budget. That's it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, let's talk about that because obviously budget is a big thing around travel. I mean, it can it can prevent people from doing it or in like you said, in your case, I mean, if you're willing to work with it and you're not dead set on certain destinations and you're willing you're willing to make some concessions i guess based on your budget maybe not they're not even concessions maybe it's just uh hey we're gonna find like sort of where our our most desirable list crosses with our budget and we're just gonna pick one of them i mean is it kind of like that <laughs> it's exactly like that yes. okay <laughs> so it's not just picking the cheapest places in the world because then i think we wouldn't leave india or pakistan i think that's like the only countries we'd be in right because the top 60 cities that are the cheapest in the world are pretty much just right around those countries but what we do is what countries would we love to visit plus which ones are the cheapest of that list and that's pretty much exactly how we find out where to go because Let's be honest, if we're traveling for at least six months of the year, um, that costs money and that costs good money, right? We're not backpackers. 
no offense to anyone who is, I cannot backpack. <laughs> I might be a minimalist, but I, I just, I can't, I'm not the backpacker. I'm not, I'm just, I can't go down that route. And I'm just not really, I'm not really like nature or adventure so much. I like to experience culture and language, but I'm not really into kind of adventure or trekking or anything like that. So the, the backpacker life is not for me. So if we're going to be staying in rentals, like a local, like in a local area of, of the town, or if we're going to be staying in say moderate hotels, then yeah, that, that takes a, a big budget. So we kind of pick the cheapest places that interest us. And that's what we've been doing for the last five years. How quickly do you guys travel? Are you staying in a place, like you mentioned, being in Hoi An for five months? Are you usually in one place for a long time? Do you move around a lot? Do you guys change it up every year? We really like to slow travel. So we like to be in a place for at least a month because I think that's really how you can get a great grasp on the culture and all of just the nuances that come along with the culture, like the language and the food and the traditions. I think it's so interesting to deep dive into a country's culture. It's so fascinating to me. So we do like to slow travel. So if we have a preference, it's at least a month in each area. And sometimes we stay for three and sometimes we stay a little bit longer, but we do, we do mix it up. So we're kind of done with Asia. We've done Asia for the last two years in a row. Uh, this year, actually I leave in, oh my gosh, like 10 days. Um, yeah, we're going to be going down to Mazatlan, which is in Sinaloa, Mexico. Awesome. What are some of the highlights? Like just give people two or three destination highlights that you've experienced over the last few years. Okay. Hmm. Well, we lived in Scotland for a little while and yes, that was really cool. We lived just outside of Edinburgh and I thought it was just really great to live there as a local. Love the accent. really like the culture. It was never too hot and we've been in such hot countries lately that it was such a nice break to just not be sweating in your own clothes all the time <laughs> just not be like soaking wet <laughs> constantly like you are in southeast asia so i think living in scotland was really cool and i'd have to say you know hoi an was i'll say it was one of the best times of my life and one of the worst times of my life it was a double-edged sword for sure i think that it but it's a highlight because i learned a lot and i grew a lot as a person but i think five months for me personally, was a little bit too long to stay in Hoi An. I think I would have loved to visit for, say, two weeks to maybe a month, but five months was definitely too long. Another highlight has been cruising. We've been taking repositioning cruises a lot nice. lately. Yes. I did an episode on that. Yeah, those are cool. Oh my gosh, it's the coolest way to get from point A to point B. Like, who needs to get on a plane? All right, yeah, <laughs> right? share share with everybody really quickly what this is because it's a good cruise travel hack. Oh, I just love it. Okay, so when cruise ships need to actually reposition where they're going to be, they will go from point A to point B, like not do a round trip cruise, it's just so that they can get the ship to a different part of the world for the next season. So for example... There was a, we were on the Celebrity Millennium, which hangs around Alaska all summer because the weather's great, right? But once fall comes on, they don't, they don't want to hang around Alaska. It's going to be freezing cold. There's going to be too much ice in the water. So that ship has got to move to a different part of the world. So it goes over to Asia and it does the Japan, Korea, Vietnam kind of a route. So what we did is we hitched a ride on that thing. 
when it was going over from Alaska. Just stuck to your Japan. thumb out. You're like, guys, can yeah. you pick us up? <laughs> it felt like that. It felt like hitching a ride because I'll tell you why. Because it's so cheap. I mean, it's so cheap. So let's just say, for example, a seven day round trip cruise in Alaska during the summer. It might be like 2000 bucks. Okay. But from going from Alaska to, uh, actually, we left from Vancouver, but from going from Vancouver to Japan on a two week ride. Okay. You're two weeks on this ship where your food is included. You've got like hotel like accommodations. It's amazing. I think we paid $600, maybe $500. Like it was so cheap. It was cheaper than living in Canada. So we, we in an were RV. able to get a ride. <laughs> yeah. We were able to get a ride from Vancouver to Japan for, you know, 75% less than what a usual ticket is on a cruise ship. It was cheaper than flying. So here's the experience we get. Cheaper than an economy ticket. We got two weeks on a ship, two weeks of food, two weeks of accommodation, of entertainment, of doing cool things. Like they have pools and casinos and activities, shows. I mean, so cool. So we've been doing those lately to get around the world from point A to point B and also just to I mean, experience cruising. I love cruising. We're where, where do you find it. your repositioning cruise deals? All over the place. But I do like this one site called cruisesheet.com. Don't know if you've ever used it. They, You can look up to see what balcony rooms the cheapest out of all cruises happening right now, which ocean view, which inside. You can kind of filter by what kind of room you want. And do they specialize they, in repositioning cruises or are they just all cruises, but then all these sites happen to... Yeah, they do all cruises, but yeah. repositioning are always the cheapest. So when you when you filter by cheapest, you're going to see that they're all repositioning. And they do that because they're not going to send the ship over empty, right? Like if they have to go from Alaska to Japan, they could just drive the ship over with nobody on it, but they might as well just make some money. So really when they sell that ticket, it's kind of like the bare cost. They're not really making profit on the repositioning cruises. They might make profit with you being on there and maybe you buy stuff while you're on board, but they just cover their costs of getting the ship from point A to point B. So repositioning cruises are so cheap for that reason. And they happen everywhere. They don't just happen from Vancouver to Japan. You can get them from Brazil to London. You can get them from Sydney to South Africa. Like they go all over the world. And what a great way to get somewhere instead of taking a plane. It's like it's, a, it's slow travel at its best. Can you search for repositioning cruises? Is it labeled repositioning or do you, how do you know it's a repositioning cruise? Well, because it won't say round trip and it'll start one place and end in another. <laughs> Those will be your first, okay. your first Got um, sort of. But sometimes they're called transatlantic if they're just crossing the Atlantic. And sometimes they're called transpacifics. Sometimes they're repositioning. Sometimes they're world cruises. So they're called different things. You know, you make a good point. There's not like one site that has every repositioning cruise that's very well kind of highlighted that that's what it is. But once you start looking at them, you'll start realizing what they are. Um, and it'll be easy to search for them. You just have to take a little bit of time. But they are fantastic. Like nice. I would live on a cruise ship if I could. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Sneak, we sneak in a little extra travel hack here at the end. I, I appreciate you taking the time to um, come on. And I love that you know, this is what kind of creating the lifestyle around travel is all about, right? Because you're, you guys are doing it in the way that you want to do it. You're like, hey, I, we want to live in Canada for six months. We don't want to travel full time. Um, we're going to set it up this way. We're going to get down our expenses, get rid of everything, have a nice place and a place that we love, but do it cheaply. 
and then travel half the year. And of course, over the years, things could change or whatever. But I love how you guys have set yourself up to just, yeah, travel. I mean, that's what you've made a priority and you're doing it. So congratulations on everything. Uh, and I really appreciate you sharing all the stuff you've been up to recently and just being transparent and honest about all that stuff. Very much appreciated. And, and um, don't forget, of course, your website and, and anywhere else like people want to find you want to just drop all the links here and wherever people can find you. Yeah, absolutely. So as I said before, I live on the blog on travelloffpath.com. I try to write at least three to four times a week, if not more. And also, yes, I still am on Instagram. <laughs> so my Instagram <laughs> is cashly underscore K and I'm still sharing my adventure on Instagram. I'm just not sharing the fake version of it, which is so refreshing to me. I don't post as often, but I'm just more real. And I love when people come and hang out with me on there because I want to see their real travels as well. And I want to connect with more people that are more interested in sharing the truth and just being transparent and authentic. It's very, very cool how I've learned to kind of use the platform for good <laughs> now. So those are the two places that I hang out the most. And then of course, if anyone is interested in minimalism and downsizing the way that I did, I wrote a book on it and it's called The High Maintenance Minimalist. And it's all about creating the freedom to be able to travel more. Doesn't mean you have to sell all of your things, but it talks about how to downsize. And if you wanted to take it to the extreme, like I did, um, exactly how I did it step-by-step. Awesome. Well, thanks for all that. And yeah, thanks for your time today. It was great chatting with you. I hope we can cross paths here uh, at some point. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you so much for having me on, Jason. All right. Take care. There you go. My conversation with Cashley. Isn't she great? I love the honesty uh, that she has just with her life and the things that she's been through and not being afraid to share them because who cares what people think, right? When you share stories like this in an honest way, these things can make an impact. That's what this podcast is about, right? This is a community-powered show. I started the show for you. I wanted to share stories because they do matter. It matters to hear other people's experiences and then you can glean from that what you will and incorporate the things that make sense in your life right now and I hope you get a lot of value out of the show. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, I'm always open to new guest ideas and chatting with you. So please get in touch anytime. Jason at zerototravel.com is my email. I consider each and every one of you uh, a friend. Really, I wish I could come and shake all your hands or high five you or whatever. I make this show for you. I'm really passionate about it. And I'm just so excited going into our sixth year knowing, uh, hey, there's people out there listening. You all matter to me. And I just wanted to let you know that. So I appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you so much. Check in if you haven't. And uh, if you'd like to meet in person, by the way, we're running a huge event this next summer, 2020, June 12th through the 14th. It's called Camp Indie. If you go to campindie.com, it's an in-person gathering of travelers, location-dependent entrepreneurs. We're going to have workshops, and it's all taking place at a summer camp. We're doing a summer camp for adults. So if you want to go wakeboarding, archery, have communal dinners, uh, listen to some awesome talks, get inspired, get practical advice around travel, lifestyle business, whatever, you should come because it's going to be a blast. And the early bird tickets are available now, but they're ending on Cyber Monday. So don't delay. Come hang out. We'd love to meet up with you there. Also, got a couple shout outs to get to in just a second in this little framework for kicking off an idea so you can be location independent. Uh, I got a letter in the mail and this came 
from Danielle. I want to say thank you. You know, people send me postcards and letters sometimes, and I love it. And that's because on my website, if you go to the about page, it says that I love postcards because I'm old school like that. By the way, if you want to knock anybody's socks off, just write them a letter. I mean, how often do you get letters in the mail, handwritten letters? I love to write letters to people because I know it's just such an unexpected, cool thing to get in this digital age. So write a letter to somebody you love today or somebody you care about or friends or maybe somebody who influenced you. Uh, It's such a great feeling to get a letter in the mail. And if you can give the gift of that, uh, it's an awesome thing. Thanks to Melissa for sending me a postcard from Rome. (laughs) She said, hi, Jason. I wasn't able to mail this from Rome, but I promise it was bought right outside of the Coliseum. It has a picture of uh, various sites in Rome. So that was awesome. I want to say thanks to Matt, by the way, for scanning all this stuff and sending it to me because my mailbox is in Colorado and I live in Europe. And then I want to thank Danielle for writing her letter. She said, hey there, Jason, forgive the on-page awkwardness. At the age of 21 in the digital age, handwritten letters aren't exactly second nature. So why am I doing it? I figured it was the next best thing to a postcard. Zero to Travel has been an inspiration. The podcast's first travel podcast I have come across and I intently search the internet for lifestyle travel advice. The podcast has opened my eyes to the fact that travel dreams are possible, but only if I make them. So I'm seeking advice for... Uh, from the expert here and how to make that happen. Well, I'm not sure if I'm an expert, but certainly have learned a lot from all these guests over the years. Um, She goes on to say, you know, what is some advice that you would give to somebody who is young, a relatively blank slate and bursting with ideas with little to no idea on how to start any of them? Well, I'm going to share some quick advice here. This is a huge question. So obviously it takes time to go on a journey like that and learn all the things that you may have to learn along the way. But like I said, I do want to share this basic framework that I think is something that you can follow step by step and whatever the in-between journey between those steps is going to be rich and interesting to say the least and uh, up and down and all that good stuff. I'll share that in a second. First, I just want to say one more thanks to Tortuga Backpacks for supporting today's show. If you're looking for any travel gear or backpack, go to zerototravel.com slash Tortuga because they're hooking up you as a Zero to Travel podcast listener with 10% off anything you order over there. So don't screw around. If you need a day pack, if you need any size pack um, for just weekend excursions or longer trips, they got the stuff that you need and it's incredible. Zero to Travel.com slash Tortuga, 10% off for being a listener. Get your gear for the holidays and the coming year and hook somebody up if you're buying some gifts. A day pack's a great gift for somebody, right? They don't cost too much money, but something that you can use every day whether you're traveling or not. So there you go. Some bonus gift ideas for you. Thanks to Tortuga for supporting today's show. All right. These uh, simple five steps, I'm going to share them. First of all, Danielle, thanks for the letter. You have to have a direction, right? Because just like a trip, I'm going to use a trip metaphor here, but you can't get anywhere if you don't know where you're going. And sometimes that's fine if you can sit back and just enjoy. Some of my favorite travel experiences are when I don't really have a destination and you're just enjoying where you are in the moment. I think that's important too. Something surely we should all do, or we can all do better, I'm sure, but something that really makes life more enjoyable if you're just enjoying where you're at in the moment right now. But if you have some ideas you want to implement, you do have to have a direction, which means you're going to have to settle on one and just roll with it and see what happens. Uh, Boom or bust? I don't know. Obviously, you want to try to make an intelligent uh, educated guess on which idea to pursue. 
for me personally, I always find that pursuing ideas that are more closely aligned with my values and what I'm passionate about, for example, this podcast, are things that I'll see through to the end. As opposed to, I have a lot of ideas every day and a lot of ideas that could make successful businesses and things like that, but I don't want to do them. I don't want to run uh, an accounting uh, software business, for example. I don't have any interest. Like, It's just not something that I, I know myself and I won't follow through with it if I'm not excited about it. Uh, I won't follow through with it for years like I have, for example, on this podcast. So you know, for me, finding something that's aligned with your values and something that also has potential to earn an income for you, try to find the crossroads on that because you want to have you have to have a market. So if you see other people doing it successfully, that means you can do it too. That's a good way to kind of judge if somebody else is doing it and they're and making it work, then you can do that. If you want to be a freelance writer, you can be a freelance writer. There's tons of freelance writers making a living from their writing. So it's not like some crazy idea. You just got to get in there and join. So step 1, picking a direction. You got to pick an idea. Now you have a direction. So step 2 is education. Got to educate yourself around the things that you would need to do to bring this to life. So, uh, and then honing your craft, of course, which is also an education. So we're taking the freelance writing example. Uh, You're working on your craft of writing, but also maybe you need to get an education on how to pitch magazines, how to um, get your articles found online, you know, whatever direction you're going, you now have a direction. You got to decide what you want to do, and then you can educate yourself around the things that you don't know in that direction. So along the way, you figure those things out. And then, of course, you have to be taking massive action. If you're just thinking about these things and studying, but not taking action, nothing's going to happen. You got to be taking massive action. And I think it's hugely important to have accountability. And you have somebody or a group that can keep you going and keep you consistently taking action. Because a lot of times if we're left to our own devices, we might be left to our own devices literally. Maybe we screw off and look on our phones or we just don't get a lot of things done. But when you have accountability, you can get a lot of things done. The way you get that is by joining a community. You have to get around other people that are like-minded, that are doing the same thing. I mentioned the camp before. That's part of our uh, community, Location Indie. Uh, well, the camp's open to anybody, but we also have a community called Location Indie just for that, for people that are uh, want to get around other people that are building location-independent businesses and trying to do this stuff. Because either way, whether you join Location Indie or not, you have to get around a group of people, a community of people that are working towards the same goals. So you can get some help along the way. So there you go. Got to pick a direction, get some education, take action, get some accountability, and get around a community. That's, uh, again, this is a deep topic. We can't cover all these things. But I wanted to answer your question the best I could in a podcast that's not on this topic because like that whole path I just laid out, that could be, you know, books of information or a podcast worth of information. And I can't do all that here right now, but there you go. So just follow those steps and get started. That's, that's what I got for you today. And that is, I think, everything I have for you today. Did, did we cover it all? I think we did. Oh, yeah, the one last thing I mentioned at the top, a question that Cashley brought up during the interview. She said, uh, she took a step back and said, what do I really want to do when she was in the big house and you know feeling depressed? She asked herself, what do I really want to do? And 
then she mentioned that she wanted to choose a lifestyle that felt right with her soul. And I think those were two powerful things that I wanted to close this show with because maybe this is hitting you right now and you're in that debate mode and you're thinking, you know, maybe you're doing something that you love and you don't, this question is not relevant right now. But inevitably, for all of us, at some point, this question becomes relevant again. And we're kind of thinking about the next things we want to maybe accomplish or just experiences we want to have, travel experiences or otherwise in life as we come into a new year. And ask yourself, you know, what do I really want to do? What do I really want to do coming up over the next year? And what is a lifestyle that I can design for myself that feels right to my soul? I think that's a great way to end the show. Some things to ponder uh, for the rest of the day. So whatever you take away from this, uh, I don't know. Let me know. Let me know what you took away from this show, whether it's something from the conversation or, or this question, this idea of what do you really want to do and having a lifestyle that's aligned with your soul. I, I love that concept and I just wanted to close out on that. And with that, I'll let you go. I want to say thank you so much, my friend. Smile. Take a chance today. Have a great afternoon, evening, night, morning, whatever you're up to. And I will see you next time, my friends. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality. 